Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live commanded to love and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, we have three powerful words for you, family. You know what they are. Live, love, and serve. Serve, yes. Today, I want to look at a particular passage of scripture. I've already said that in this season of the pandemic, I found myself drawn more than usual to the gospel of Mark. It is the shortest gospel. It is the most intense gospel, if you were to ask me. And it is actually probably my favorite gospel. And so I want us to turn our attention to the sixth chapter of the gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And also I'm going to read from uh, the Message Bible as well, Mark 6 verses 1 through 6. And here's how it reads in the New Revised Standard Version. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Josiah, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he couldn't do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. In the Message Bible, it reads this way. He left there and returned to his hometown. His disciples came along. On the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place. He made a real hit, impressing everyone. We had no idea he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise all of a sudden, get such ability? But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter. Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, and Simon, and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell sprawling, and they never got any further. Jesus told them, 
A prophet has little honor in his hometown, among his relatives on the streets. He played in even as a child. Jesus was unable to do much of anything there. He laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's all. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. He left and made a circuit of the other villages teaching. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you and we honor you on this day. We are grateful in this season, even in the midst of the challenges, the difficulties, oh God, you still remain constant and faithful. We pray, oh God, that in this time that you have allotted us, that we would continue to honor you and even, oh God, focus not on what is going on around us, but what you are doing within us. You are strengthening our hearts, building our strength, reminding us of our resilience. But most of all, oh God, you are continually pouring into us your love, your grace, and your mercy. And for that, oh God, we say thank you. Now, oh God, as we continue to be open to receive your words, open our hearts, open our minds, oh God, open our souls, that we would hear just what is tailor-made for each of us. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And together, oh God, we say, Amen. Good. I want to read that again, but I want to read it in the Message Bible, Mark 6, verses 1 through 6. And it reads as such. He left there and returned to his hometown. His disciples came along. On the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place. He made a real hit, impressing everyone. We had no idea he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise all of a sudden? Get such ability. But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just the carpenter, Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, and Simon, and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell sprawling. And they never got any further. Jesus told them, a prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives. On the streets, he played in as a child. Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. He laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's all. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. He left and made a circuit of the other villages. Amen. This morning, beloved, I want to speak from the subject rejecting rejection rejecting rejection mark's gospel captures jesus's call as almost a whirlwind experience this carpenter this relatively unknown in an instant it seemed in a moment experienced a total transformation of his entire life. In a moment, he was summoned from God to move into a space and place where his humanity and his divinity would make no difference. 
He stood in that space. And in Mark's gospel, it begins immediately with the call and the movement. And after the call and the trials and the temptation, there is the public ministry. And it seems as though he hardly had a chance to even catch his breath. Early in Mark's gospel, it gives this hint that at times in his journey and in his call and in his ministry, he was always trying to find a way to just get away and be by himself, maybe to recharge, maybe to be renewed, maybe even to make sure that what he was doing was in accordance with how God had called him and shaped him. When you read Mark's gospel early on, you see that Jesus is quite fearful that the mission could get hijacked because of the expectations of people because of the performance of his power. You see early in the narrative that he warns a caution in one of those moments where he seeks to get away. He comes back and he has to remind his disciples, yes, the miracles are good. The healings are amazing. But I came to preach the gospel. I came to declare the good news. But even in the midst of that declaration, that pronouncement, the expectation of the people was not merely connected to his words. But tragically, the expectations of the people were also connected to his deeds. It is amazing how people can miss what you say because they're more interested in your performance. How people can miss the depth of divine connection because they're more concerned about what they can get from your reservoir of strength and power. And in that moment, you will continually see in early of Mark's gospel, that kind of battle, not between Jesus and the people, but this desire within him to not just be true to the call, but true to his own well-being. Because this word can be draining. Have you ever been in a space where you felt you were doing good work and doing what you felt you were called to do? And somehow in the midst of doing what you were called to do, the good work that was connected to your vocational call, in the midst of doing it, you still got weary. I can testify of those moments in my own journey, my own vocational call, where my weariness was overlooked because I was more concerned with being true to the calling. And sometimes we've placed a false choice before us. Be true to the calling or be true to our own well-being. And sometimes we ignore being true to our own well-being because somehow we feel that being true to our calling is a way that we might gain God's approval. At the same time, we only make those decisions thinking that our work gains God's approval if we don't understand that before we made any move, before we did anything, before we moved in the calling, God's approval was already with us. It is hearing that and accepting that that makes the false choice not a real choice at all. If I already have God's approval and if I'm confident in the call that God has placed on my life in the midst of my honoring the call, take care of myself and make sure that my strength is there for the mission, that my well-being is in, in par, up to par with the calling of my life. There were these moments in Mark's gospel where Jesus was trying to just get time alone. And I can imagine that after doing the work that God had called him to do, after teaching and after preaching and after the early healings in Mark's gospel, maybe, maybe, maybe what Jesus longed for the most is something that many of us in the midst of even this pandemic have longed for. 
I mean, in the midst of trying to reimagine our lives and trying to reimagine what life is and getting accustomed to what some might call a new normal, but we don't really know what the new normal is because we have not come out of the anxiety-filled pandemic. In the midst of all of that, there have been those moments where we just wish we could get home. And not just home literally or some geographical location, maybe home becomes a metaphor for a place of peace a place of ease, a place that is devoid of anxiety and terror and fear and trepidation. Have you ever been in a space, in a moment where you just wish you could get home? Because home became synonymous with peace and tranquility. I'm sure there are many of us who are even watching today have experienced leaving where you were because of the pandemic and deciding to get back home. You left the, the, the densely populated spaces where the spread of the virus seemed to be rampant and pervasive, and you decided to go back home. I know of countless members of FCBC family who live here in New York who left in the midst of the pandemic and felt that there would be no better place than being home surrounded by family and loved ones and friends, surrounded by care and concern just to get home. And I imagine that all Jesus may have wanted to do in the midst of the hustle and bustle and the grind of the mission and the calling was simply to get home. Because the expectation is, is that when I get home, I'll be at peace. When I get home, I'll be at ease. When I get home, I'll be able to relax and release and not be bombarded by the expectations of the culture and the community if I could just get home. And the scripture says that Jesus decided to make his way back home. He had left just performing another feat of God's divine power and made his way home and took his disciples with him. But here's the thing. No matter what our internal desires are at times to seek that peace and tranquility and well-being, even in those spaces where peace is felt and where well-being is experienced, the call doesn't turn off. What we've been called to do doesn't take a pause. We have to take the pause. But just as you see in this scene, when Jesus gets home, the place that was supposed to be a place of peace and tranquility and feelings of sanctity and sanity, he still can't stop going to the synagogue. Scripture says that he gets to the temple and he begins to teach those who are there and there at home in the place where he grew up, the place where he was nurtured. The people saw him running around as a little boy in town. He was Mary's son, Joseph's son. He was the carpenter's boy. He was a carpenter himself. And when he began to teach the people who knew him as a child growing up were astounded by the gifts he was made manifest before them. Where did he get all of this from? How did he get all of this? How is it that he came by this? He's not been trained as a priest. He's not a rabbi. But somehow something has been imparted in him that is a sign and a mark of the divine that is surrounding him and coming through him. And he began to wonder in astonishment, how did he get this wisdom? How did he get all this power to do all these acts that we've heard about? How did this happen? The writer in the message Bible, Eugene Peterson, makes it turn on a dime. That they went from astonishment at the gift to bitterness at his blessing. They went from being astounded by his ability to questioning his character and authenticity. 
And they did it in the most subtle of manner. Isn't he a carpenter? Look at the attempt to reduce him down. They could not hear the enormity of his giftedness and his power because they only saw what his profession was and missed what his vocation had been. They only saw the fact that he was a carpenter. And then when you read the text, them identifying him as a carpenter was not a sense of lifting him up. It was a sense of almost bringing him down. Yes, you have this wisdom. And yes, you have this power. And yes, you have power in your hands to do great things. But don't forget how we know you. Just a carpenter. Can you imagine when people miss you because they know you? They miss who you have become in God's call and simply are only caught up in the you they knew and the you they were comfortable with and not the you who stands before them. I'm amazed at how often we experience those moments where we are in front of people and still they are blind to who we are. When we stand in front of people and they're blind to what they see and they miss what God is doing because their eyes are not focused on what is in front of them. Their eyes are operating in the past tense. Oh, I hope you hear that today. When people's eyes and gaze are shaped by who you were and not who you are. And they try to reduce you to who you were because they can't accept who you are because maybe who you are is too much for them. And so they try to cut you down to size by throwing past titles that have no connection to your present power. Oh, God, I hope you can get that. Isn't this the carpenter? One way to cut him down. And then they shifted. Watch this. Isn't this Mary's boy? Oh, I hope you can capture the subtleness of the condescending tone. Most people, most men in particular, are known by their fathers when they are identified, not by their mothers. So I did not say, isn't just Joseph's son, because if you know the story of Jesus' birth, it was done under some level of controversy, where Mary claimed that she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And I imagine that that story wasn't one that was shared. They knew that she was pregnant before she had been married. So there were people who began to question the legitimacy of his, of his birthing, of his identity. And even in that moment one they try to cut him down by saying isn't he just the carpenter but watch the shift in saying he's Mary's boy they're also saying his birth is questionable so they try to cut him down by his work they try to cut him down by his identity we know him we know him we know his brothers and we know his sisters ain't nothing special about him I'm often amazed at how people sometimes miss the opportunity for their own communal elevation because they can't honor the gift of an individual who can elevate the entire group. They, 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 they have a tendency to miss the transformative power of the gift that God has placed in someone because they're mad that they're not walking in the gift that that someone has. They'd rather talk about you than walk with you. Oh, God. They'd rather try to cut you down than build you up. I know I'm talking to somebody today. They'd rather not see you because they want to be you. I hope you get that. And because they want to be you, they miss who God is moving and how God is moving in your life. We know him. But the him that we know is not the one we see. We've seen him. But they can't see who he is. I just got to let you know, there's going to always be people that you encounter whose eyes and whose perception will operate in the past tense. There will always be people in your life where they will miss the magnetic move of God that draws 
because they're too busy running from what God is doing. There will always be people in your life who you will meet who will miss the depth of your identity because they're wallowing in the shallowness of their insecurity. Jesus heard them, how they shifted from praise to questioning. And then Jesus drops the bomb that he already understood that prophets get honored everywhere else, get respected everywhere else, but in their own hometown, in their own house, among their own kin, oh my gosh, that everybody else recognizes them except the people who should have seen them bet first. Prophets, he said, don't always get honored in their hometown. Look at how Eugene Wright Peterson writes it in the Message Bible. He says in that moment, Jesus said, a prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives on the streets he played in as a child. They didn't see him. And the scripture says that because they couldn't see him, they could not get any further. They were stuck at their disbelief. They couldn't get any further because they were stuck at the disbelief. And the disbelief was connected to their disdain. And the disdain was connected to their own shame and insecurity about where they were from. They couldn't conceive that something powerful could happen through and with someone from Nazareth. And their own shame about where they were from may have contributed to their inability to get past their denying what they saw in him. And Jesus did something that sometimes we have a hard time struggling with. He learned how to reject their rejection. Oh, my gosh. There will always be moments in your journey with God and in this life where you will experience rejection. I promise you that if you have not experienced it yet, and I find that hard to believe, but if you have not experienced it yet, you will experience it soon enough. Where people will reject you for all sorts of reasons that aren't even not connected to who you are. Oftentimes, people's rejection of you is connected to what's going on with them rather than what's going on with you. And you have to be able to understand that because if you can't understand that those who reject you may be wrestling through their own personal issues, you'll start to personalize their rejection and think there's something wrong with you. And then it becomes dangerous. Every now and again, you have to fortify yourself and summon your inner resources and strength to be able to reject the rejectors and their rejecting ways. You have to be able to do that. You have to see who you are. You have to claim your own authenticity. You have to revel in your own identity. You ought to bask in the glow and the glory of who God made you to be and not allow your life to be shaped and shifted by the rejectors in your life and their rejecting ways. This past week, we, we buried an icon, John Lewis, whose sacrifice and whose vigilance and whose commitment to a great call uh, was made manifest through his years of giving his life, his soul, to this movement of struggle, freedom, justice, and equality for African Americans. His whole life was shaped, again, by sacrifice. His whole life was shaped by commitment to a call that God had placed on his life to allow love to be the leading light to transform the soul of this country. And I got to tell you, I'm sure along the way, there were many who didn't just reject him, whose rejection became violent, who beat him because of the rejection, who refused to see him because of rejection. Do you know how many times he was not unconscious by those who rejected him? 
You know how many times that he was reduced to blood and brutality by those who rejected him? What if he would have internalized rejection and gone back home and never kept up the fight for freedom, justice, and equality? What if he had internalized the rejection in such a way that he began to question the call and commitment over his life? But even amidst the bloodiness, the brutality, and the insanity of white supremacy and the myth of racial superiority, he learned how to reject the rejection and keep on moving to the call that God has placed over your life. Maybe that's the challenge that you have today. Maybe that's what you have to wrestle through even in this season, in this moment, and even right now. Maybe you've experienced over these past several months some level of rejection because of disconnection. Maybe you've experienced some level of rejection in this season because all those those things you held on to so dearly have been shaken and shifted right from under you. Are you battling rejection right now? Well, if you're battling rejection, I don't want to give you a formula how to defeat it, but I want you to follow Jesus's path of how to reject rejection. He doesn't allow himself to be held captive and stagnant by those who reject him. He acknowledges the rejection and he pays attention to it, but he doesn't get stuck by it. He declares that word, I'll say it again, how prophets don't have honor in their own hometown, among the people they grew up with, in their houses, among their kin. They get rejected. But watch this. The scripture says he wasn't able to do much there, much acts of power there. But watch this. Except lay hands and heal the sick, which he had been doing already. He still continued, even in their rejecting ways, even when they did not believe in the power, even when they did not receive or accept him, he still made manifest the power that was in him to heal and to transform. He did not allow how they treated him to then determine and how he treated other people. Oh, maybe that's the biggest danger when we internalize rejection. We take on the form of our rejectors and then begin to mimic their same ways and reject other people. It is a dangerous thing when the rejected begin to reject other people because they can't get past the trauma of being rejected. It's something I saw written by Mark Amen. He said this, rejection doesn't mean you aren't good enough. It means that other people or persons fail to notice what you have to offer. It doesn't mean you're not good enough. It means that some people just fail to notice what you have to offer. Because you don't always know what those people who reject you are going through or dealing with. Don't personalize it in this season because it can be detrimental to who you are. Don't allow it to cause you to be stuck and stifled because you feel that there's spaces and places you ought to be reject, you ought to be accepted and rather have been rejected. Yeah. I read something. I, it, it is kind of cute, but it, I feel led to say it anyway. And, it, and I don't even remember who said it, but they said a whole lot of nice things were rejected by people who could not afford them. <laughs> Can you imagine that for a second? That sometimes there's some people uh, who reject you, not because they can't afford you, even though that phrase sounded good, but maybe they couldn't handle you yeah. or receive you. And because they couldn't handle you or receive you, then they pushed you away. Oh, my gosh. But Steve Maraboli made it clear. He said sometimes in those places where you've been rejected, it wasn't rejection. He said it was redirection. That maybe the spaces that rejected you were redirecting you to the places and spaces you needed to be to make manifest the fullness of your calling. So instead of being mad about the rejected spaces, see the movements of how the rejection redirected your footsteps in the places that were waiting for you to show up in the first place. 
Oh, I hope you can get that today. That sometimes rejection is a form of redirection. It is a way to get you where you need to be. It's a way to get you where the place and spaces where God has ordained you from. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the reason why you can handle rejection, I, I saw this somewhere, that you can be rejected a hundred times at a hundred different doors, a hundred doors closing your face, closing and closing, closing, rejection abounding, doors closing and closing. But watch this. When you go to the hundred and first door, make sure you're smiling, make sure you're happy, make sure you're ready because you always have to be prepared to walk into the place that you were called for instead of feeling handicapped by the places that rejected who you are. No, no. Don't feel bad or broken because people can't see what you have to offer. And don't get angry at the doors that have been closed by the people who could not see you because they actually could simply be pushing you to the places you need to be. That's why Jesus doesn't sit there arguing with rejectors. He doesn't sit there trying to convince him, them rather, of who he is. He rejects them by not internalizing what they say. He rejects them by remaining committed to the call. He rejects them by understanding who he is. And look at the last part of that passage that was read today. And because he was rejected at home, he went to other places who would accept who he was. I know it hurts at times, and I know it's challenging at times, especially when the ones who reject us are the people we love deeply. And we can't personalize those places and spaces of rejection because sometimes it's not even about you. It's when we start to internalize and start to make up reasons why they're rejecting us that we begin to get unfocused from the call that God has placed over your life, our lives. I got to tell you that there have been more than a few times where I felt the gnawing pain of being rejected. The more than a few times in my life where I felt, I felt the wounds of not being accepted. And in my youth, I made the mistake of trying to gain access to places that didn't want me. It's a mistake that we've all made. I gave energy to places that didn't receive me. I gave energy to places that didn't want me around. I gave energy to people who couldn't see me. I depleted myself to squeeze into spaces that were too small for me. How many times have you been guilty of doing that? But your strength comes in your capacity to keep it moving. Don't let rejection stop you from fulfilling your call. Don't let rejection hinder you from being true to who you are. Here at FCBC, our movement is called Be Human. But how can you be human when you're afraid of being you? Sometimes our hesitancy in being 
true to ourselves is connected to wanting to be accepted because we're afraid of being what? Rejected. Remember this. Sometimes people reject you because they can't see what you have to offer. And then sometimes don't be mad about being rejected because rejection may be a redirection to places that God has called you to be in and a part of. So, beloved, remember, be true to who you are. Remember that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That God has placed something sacred and beautiful within you. That God knows your name. And no matter who doesn't see you, recognize you, or even want you, remember the words in that song, Oh, how God walks with me. And know how God talks with me. And know how God tells me I belong to God. Don't forget that today. God walks with you. God talks with you. God will remind you who you are, which means you are never alone. You are never by yourself. Keep it moving. Stay committed to the divine call God has placed over your life. Walk away from those spaces that reject you with a calm confidence that God knows your name. And God knows your name. Come on, let's pray together today. God, we bless your name in this season, in this moment. We're grateful, oh God, that even now you continue to show us to ourselves. You continue to remind us of the greatness and grandeur of our identity and divine connection. You continue, oh God, to put before us the grand possibilities that abound for us as well. And God, help us even as you taught Jesus to be able to walk away from places that reject you or else their rejection internalized can damage and undermine the greater call, commitment, and movement. So God, we stand here, standing upright in the strength you've given us, standing upright in the power you've given us, standing upright and the love you've covered up with us with, oh God. And we've made a commitment. That yes, we will encounter people who don't see us. And yes, we will encounter people who are intimidated by us. And yes, we will encounter people who reject us. But God, give us the strength to reject rejection. Because in this season, the best of who we are is being summoned to the forefront even while people only see the worst of who we were God thank you thank you God thank you God we love you we honor you and it's in your name oh God we pray 
And we say amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.